Frank. Frank, come on, man. Can I Be Frank is all about capturing real, authentic, unedited conversation. Hi, um, this is podcast number 35. It's with a guy called Monty Waits. Monty Waits is a filmmaker um, that has recently completed a documentary called Magic Medicine. I got in touch with Monty through Twitter and um, asked him would he be interested in doing it and he obviously um, said yes. And the movie Magic Medicine is basically follows the very first trials of psilocybin, um, which is the active ingredient in magic mu mushrooms, but the, the very first trials in the UK with patients that were suffering from untreatable depression. So I've, it's a thing that I'm really interested in, um, this, this whole use of psychedelics for therapeutic use and care. I think it's just interesting. Um, so I'm going to show the ad next for the film and um, and then the podcast is an hour long is a few tiny little sound things um, but anyway uh, check it out check out the website which is magicmedicine.net and um, yeah thank you very much what I've always been desperate to do is to find a physical reason for feeling this way the anxiety, the fear, the panic. For the past 30 years, I've had 30 different types of medication, and none have worked. I need to find a way to change. LSD swung the doors wide open for research into psychosis. I think psychedelics has the potential to revolutionize depression treatment, if not psychiatry. This is the psychoactive ingredient in so-called magic mushrooms. Thousands of people who could benefit from these drugs are denied access. Just a small improvement would be lovely. Just for him to see the world through a different pair of eyes. This could be the start of a new life. Somebody could have one of the most profound experiences of their whole lives in here. He was taken back to a very, very difficult memory. Imagine a nightmare that lasts for six hours and doesn't stop. People can go through their whole lives without ever really facing those demons. This was the big ride. This is the one that changed things. Depression's so prevalent. Everyone's exposed to it. Whatever the problem is, it will take you straight to that. You have to decide there and then whether you're going to be a victim of that for the rest of your life or not. It made me think, well, perhaps I'm not just a passenger on this merry-go-round. Is that a beautiful experience, would you say? <sighs> I would say yes. Or where did yeah, where did you 
Where did it come about, really, I suppose? So, um, Lizzie, who's the executive producer, read an article in the Evening Standard, um, which is a free newspaper in London, and um, said, rang me immediately and said, we should make this film. We weren't working together. We, the last time that we had worked together was um, sort of uh, 15 years previously, or 16 years previously in New Zealand. Okay. Um, um, but we both worked, in, or we both have worked in TV on and off um, in our lives. And, um, and so she said, we should go and see these guys. And then luckily she knew someone, a guy called um, Rick Adams, who knew Robin, who was the guy running the trial. Yeah, and okay. very kindly so sorry, sent Robin he, an email. On, on the Evening Standard, you saw an article about? Yeah, it was, it was an article about, um, I don't even know what the article was about anymore. I don't know if it was about the actual trial that was happening or about uh, the LSD trial that they did um, with brain scans. Um, I think it must have been about the actual trial because Lizzie was saying that we should make a film about this. So maybe they were um, looking for people um, to volunteer on the trial or something like that. So this um, is for people's, uh, just the brief sec two seconds, this is for people who are suffering with uh, depression who have been... Untreatable depression. Untreatable depression. And that the, yeah. the, the article said that they, they, there's going to be a trial and they're going to take psilocybin. Which is the act yeah, of exactly. in magic yeah. mushrooms, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. I mean, if that's what the article was, um, I can't... I, I, yeah, fine. It was, a, it, was, it was definitely an article about Robin and about the work that he was doing, and it must have mentioned the trial, um, uh, because Lizzie rang me and said, you know, we should try and speak to Robin and, um, and make, this, and make, make a film about this trial. Mm you know, use magic mushrooms and the medical trials use magic mushrooms, there's absolutely no way that they're going to say, yes, you can come in and film it. That would be completely off the charts as far as we're concerned. Okay. Um, but this guy, Rick Adams, um, introduced us and sent a nice email to Robinson that, you know, if you are thinking of making a film about this, then these guys, they're trustworthy, you know, they're not going to screw you over kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and, um, and so Robin got us in and had a chat. We, had a, we said that we're really interested in making this film, but I don't want to, we're not going to make a puff piece for you. We're not going to just, you know, we're going to film what we, what we see and that's what the film's going to be. And when we, you know, if we get any sense that you're going to try and manipulate us or um, affect the way that we do things and not allow us to interview people and whatever it is, um, or not allow us to tell a true story that, as we see it, then that's going to be a real problem for us. And so we just, you know, we won't do it kind of thing. Um, okay. And actually they, they, David and Robin both said, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's fine. I think that's a good way of doing things. And then they were completely true to their word throughout the whole thing. When we first went to see them, they said, no, um, not right now. And we thought that that was just a no for good. And then after they'd done the first 12 patients out of the 20, they realized that the results were good and it was all looking good and they were happy with their processes. And so Robin mm -hmm. called us back in and said, we're interested. And by then there were only five people left who hadn't taken their first dose. And it was important for me that we film people before their first dose. Yeah. Um, we sent a little video message that we recorded on our iPhone, Lizzie and I, so, you know, saying what our motivations were and that sort of thing. And he forwarded, Robin forwarded it to the five people who were left and three of them said yes. So wow. we started filming, the day, I mean, almost like the day after they, they said yes, because they were going in for their first dose within a few days. So we had to get up, I had to get up to Scotland sort of within 24 hours, basically. Well, okay. So it was very much, yeah, because it's interesting. I, like, I saw an article in the Independent, in the UK Independent, and um, I think it's this cool picture of 
Robin with an injection and then the, uh, it was like the first scientist in 50 years going to test yeah. LSD. And yeah. I actually was kind of, I was writing a book of fiction at the time and I, I integrated that into the book. And yeah. but I actually was kind of blown away by it because, and that's why I did that even that 30 minute piece that I sent on to you. I was genuinely blown away because maybe in my naiveness and how not questioning things and I was brought, being brought up, but everything I had learned growing up was you one step away from an insane asylum if you take LSD or if you take a psychedelic. Exactly. That was totally yeah, my yeah. impression. Yeah. I mean, I, I, that's exactly the same thing as I had, you know, I'd, I'd had friends that had experienced it and a, a lot of them had um, had, you know, funny laughing times and some of them had had these terrible bad trips. And so for me, that connection between um, uh, the, the drug that takes you out of your head and puts you somewhere else kind of thing, or so it seemed, um, and treating depression was so intriguing. Um, that yeah. as soon as Lizzie sent me the article, I was like, you know, that I, I, I just want to understand that kind of thing. And that's, that's a good, good reason to make a film. Yeah. Well, I think it's so, I think it's really interesting that you took it from the perspective of the patients because there, you see, and, and I loved how you said at the start there in terms of your talking with Robin and David, that you were kind of saying, you were kind of skeptical in a way, or you, you, you approached it from the skeptic's perspective, because it's still a drug and everything that we've ever learned is X. And so then for Y to be true, you really have to kind of find out for definite mm. if it's true. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think that we, we simply didn't know. I didn't understand it. And so I, I, think, I, was, I think I'd say I was completely neutral. Um, and that was the, the way that I approached the whole film was, okay, so what is being presented? What am I seeing in front of me? How do I interpret that? As opposed to, right, I've got this idea about what the sort of film should be like. Um, let's go and find footage to back up that idea. Mm. Um, and so, you know, it was lovely going out and I, I, I made a film for TV probably 10 years before, five years before um, making this film um, with someone called Penny Walcock, who's an absolute legend in the um, documentary world and I remember um, asking her one day one of the first days that I was filming with her I was her cameraman she was directing and we we're filming kids um, homeless uh, film about homeless people in, the, in London mm -hmm. and I said to her so what are we going to do today and she turned around to me with this sort of like real shock and look on her face and she went well I don't know what we're going to do today how can I possibly know what we're going to do today because we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what these people are going to say to me and we don't know kind of, you know, anything about the day. So we're just going to turn up and see what happens. Mm. And I was like, ah, oh, wow, that's a really interesting way to make a documentary because working in TV, it's like, here's what you're going to do today. You know, everything is completely laid out. You need them to cry at three o'clock. You need them to have a resolution at 4.40. You know, it was literally sort of like you were painting by numbers sort of thing. So it was very refreshing to hear that actually documentaries could be made another way. And that's exactly how I made this documentary. Yeah, okay. So I, um, you, you, uh, you were involved in faking it. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And actually that was sort of slightly good version of... Well, that was actually one of my favourite documentaries. It's probably one of my favourite documentaries ever, really. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, it was, but, it, but it was still quite constructed. You yeah. know, so there was still this sense that, you know... Um, 
happy ending. Yeah, well, certainly a happy ending. That was sort of heavily geared, um, but but you know, sort of throughout it, you need that you know they they need certain things to happen. So you know, this you, first of all, you set them up as um, hopeless individuals who haven't got a chance. Then they think that they're doing really well, and then they need to have a bad experience that brings their confidence right down again. And then you bring their confidence back up again, and they win, and it's a bloody great kind of thing. So that's. That it was just completely like this is what we need to see kind of thing it wasn't right let's film this really interesting um situation and just see what happens that that wasn't allowed because they they needed the drama to happen and so therefore that drama was often forced um whereas mm-hmm. filming something like on the streets which is the documentary of penny you know she just filmed for six months and um that and that you know and you make the film that you that is presented to you kind of thing you're capturing is, i think it's a more honest way of making yeah well it sounds like the other is almost fitting it into the arc of the story even though if it's a documentary yeah. you're still kind of squeezing it into some sort yeah. of story format yeah well if you, if you look at something like um wife swap mm. uh, which was a heavily constructed um program um they had a Literally, they, if you were a director of that sort of thing, they gave you what they called the Bible or something like that. Um, and that had um, exactly what needed to happen on day by day of wife swap. Um, and that's what you had to film to. And if you didn't get it, you, you wouldn't be used again kind of thing. Um, nice. And so I remember being asked by people working within that company, um, uh, not for wife swap, but for, for another program. They said to me, you know, would you have a problem, you know, manipulating the truth and um, stitching people up and all that sort of stuff? And I was like, mm, no, I would have a problem with that sort of thing. And so obviously I didn't get that job. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of the way that TV was going. And, and so that's why I left. So I left TV and and it was this film that brought me back into making films. I know how much I love doing. Yeah. To um, a way that works for TV. Um, I suppose that's the creative freedom, then self-funding, it comes with a, um, a price, obviously, but it also yeah, comes so, with the, the freedom. Yeah, I mean, self-funding is a, I mean, it, yeah, I mean, completely sustainable. Um, I couldn't self-fund another um, Say that again, sorry. But this one, I couldn't, I couldn't self-fund another film. So I think that any to be pre-sold in some way. Um, but... I, with this one, I'd always wanted to make a film my way. Um, and I'd always wanted to be proud of something that I'd done. Um, and so, I, you know, this was just a passion project, basically. And it was a, it was a one-off um, that, that um, for me, it's just very lucky it's played out like it has and that it's doing well and it's in the cinemas and that sort of stuff. I mean, that really is fantastic um, luck on, on, your first, on your first film, really. Yeah. Um, so um so it's i've realized all my dreams on it kind of thing which is which is lucky but the self-funding thing is a bit painful really on the whole yeah because this is is it right three years in the making is that yeah 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 and that's so that a killer like, like three that... years full time you know it was sort no of, i know that it was, that, but... um, um and so you know there would be six months stints in there where we were hoping you know we, we'd sent it off to the bbc or channel four or something and said you know, do you want this? And they said, yeah, we'll look at it, we'll look at it, we'll look at it. And then it's about six months later, we've, we've got everything on hold, waiting for them to say yes or no, so that we could 
proceed to the next step of editing or whatever it may be. And then during that time, I'd, if there was something interesting to film, I'd go out and film it. But um, we would be spending loads of money on editors and that sort of stuff. Um, and then um, and then they came back and went, no, no, we're not going to do it now or whatever. And so we just get on with it and do it ourselves. Um, so, yeah, it was a long project, but I was working in between. And um, that was what was paying for it, basically. I had a small production company that was making um, promotional films for... Um, environmental and charitable organisations, and okay. that and savings was were, were what um, were what paid for it. Can okay, I ask then? So the, the, I kind of almost like though that it's been if it was that period of time in terms of capturing, because obviously when you take um, if you take a psychedelic in a country where it's legal, of course, but if you take there is an afterglow period, and then. Mm. I'm always curious about well, what's the story six months after it's taken? Mm. Nine mm. months, is there a relapse into, um, you know, is, is the change dramatic? And, wh and what's your sense from the film? Obviously, um, there's so much you can give away, but give away as much as you can in terms of that. that um, so, so, I mean, I think that that's a really interesting question. It's certainly true that if I had stopped filming six months after the trial had finished, it would be a very different film to the film that it was. Okay. If I'd stopped filming maybe even a year after the trial had finished, it probably would have been a different film again. Um, and then I was I stopped filming sort of two years after the um, trial. And then mm -hmm. I think that that is the film because yes. if I was to film, if I was to film, if I was to carry on filming, I wouldn't have got anything new mm -hmm. um, um, because the, the the sort of results you know, they, they, they had ended their journey completely, the people who were on the trial. And the answer is that they all went through ups and downs. Um, yeah. And, um, it, you know, at, at different points in the film, it, it was very positive and then not so positive. And um, then it sort of ended as it ended. Um, uh, and I think that you've got to go through that journey watching the film to really get it. Um, and so I'd be yeah. reticent to talk about it in any more detail than that. Yeah, that's fine, that's fine. And you just, <laughs> I, 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 um, we'll, yeah, I, I'll try and keep away from the, the juice. And we'll skirt around the juice. But I suppose I am very, in a way, uh, that's what I'm most curious about. Because I think I read... But I think what's, what's clear is that reintegration is critical. Yeah, okay. I think that, so I think that, I think that what's, what's clear is that, um, or what's clear for me anyhow, is that, um, it, we need to do more trials to learn whether it's the drug that's doing it, whether it's the music that's doing it, whether it's the relationship with the psychologist and psychiatrist and team that's sort of doing it, or what combination of the three. Um, and um, only more trials will, will tell us that. And, and whether, whether the, you know, a redose would have helped some of them, you know, continue their, their, their good fortune. Um, uh, or a stronger dose, you know, all of these things need to be tested more methodically. Um, but that obviously takes money, which um, none of these trials apart from Compass has. Yeah. Yeah, you see, my sense of it is that you see you have a, a, a person that's suffering and uh, like, uh, if these are untreatable, that's uh, the people that you, uh, that are in the film has untreatable depression. So that is now, I'm not even trying to imagine what untreatable. Some of them are 30 years or eight years suffering. I mean, it's just grim, grim. Yeah, every single day, getting up, knowing that you're 
feeling the lowest you've ever felt in your life and probably more every single day having to get up and and survive in whatever way you, you can. And, and the three people survived in quite different ways, actually. Um, it was sort of quite interesting exploring that with them. Um, so, yeah, I mean, untreated was a bad word. In the film, Ros says, one of the psychologists says, you know, untreatable depression, that's a bad word, because that yeah. suggests that it's not possible to treat it, when yeah. in fact, actually, just haven't found the right treatment yet. Yes, um, yeah. Um, but, you know, I, if I was, from what I know about the guys that I film with, I can see why they might say that it was untreatable because um, their lives were utterly, utterly painful. Um, and I, I wouldn't wish that on anyone. Yeah, in a way, maybe that is the, like, my sense of it is that this uh, chemical, and I actually, I read one of your tweets that said something like, I don't think this should be totally legalized. I think Schedule 1, or something that it should be declassified right. downwards. Is that yeah. right? And I, to make research easier, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and I kind of, because I think in the enthusiastic world of this, and it is, because it's so interesting, it is something you kind of look and go, you, you kind of go, wow. Like you do go, you can apparently have from the outside, magical results and that you have this person who is locked tight in this kind of frame of thinking and this mm. chemical comes in and blows it open in a mm. terrifying you know even if there's you know i imagine there is that terrifying thing that it blows it apart and maybe when it comes back together a little bit of light has got into the system and that mm. it seems like that now that person can probably come back together again fully i don't know but maybe there's always a little bit of light in there but life mm. is still and so that's the the magic of it but it's like jumping out of a an airplane get a parachute like you know get a good mm. instructor if you're going to do it and don't mm. don't be an idiot about mm. it that's my sense looking in but the, but what the point i was going to make is this there is a huge wave of enthusiasm and i think rightly so but i I think also it's there's there has to be that balance of this isn't um, this isn't uh, just going for a job, you know. This yeah. is this is dramatic. Yeah. No, I think it is, and I think that I mean Robin talks about it being a snow globe where you shake up a snow globe and your brain resettles in a slightly different way, mm. and then the reintegration process allows that 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 resettling to sort of solidify a little bit and so if, if you've got good reintegration post these experiences um then that increases the chances of your um sort of neural pathways staying light um to use your phrase um uh, as opposed to going back into this habitual repetitive thought process of you know I'm, I want to kill myself or I'm worthless or I'm ruining, I'm ruining my family or whatever it is that these guys all think. Um, and I agree with you that it shows promise, um, but a trial of 20 patients um, is not something that um, can dictate policy, I think, at this stage. Mm -hmm. What I would say is that, or what I feel is that, um, you know, if 50% of people aren't responding to antidepressants and they're the only drugs out there and they're not you know, responding to CBT and all that sort of stuff, then there's clearly a need for something. Yeah. And so the question is, if there really is a need for something, 
then why aren't people exploring with real vigor all of the opportunities that show promise? Um, uh, and you know that would be that would be my strategy for this would be to make it easier to do the research with psilocybin so that lots of people can get involved and set up their own trials, testing slightly different things, sharing mm -hmm. all that knowledge, finding out what works and what doesn't work in the same way that cancer drugs are very, very targeted now. You know, every single person, it seems, receives a very slightly different type of cancer drug um, to help them specifically with their cancer. And so maybe it'd be the same as psilocybin where, you know, if, if you get 50 million patients with it, or sort of you know a million patients with it, then you get a sense of what um, kind of dose. Someone if someone comes to you, you can go, ah, you are person A point four, and that means that you get this dose and this kind of therapy afterwards, and that we think will work best for you. But yeah. you know that's a long way away. Um, so we just need to make that research easier so that we can know that sort of information. Yeah, we, uh, and the problem is really um, as to why it's not loads of money is not being thrown into the investigation of it is because unfortunately there isn't money to be made. Yeah. So, and well, it is compass uh, pathways. Uh, there is compass pathways. I mean, compass yeah. pathways have raised twenty five million, I think, um, for wow. their um, for their trials, drug psilocybin trials for depression. Um, okay. Including um, Peter Thiel, um, sort of he, he gave. I did read about 10, Peter Thiel, yeah, ten yeah, million yeah. or something like that. Okay. So that they have clearly that well, they clearly think that there's there's a um, uh, money to be made here. They, Do you think it's people a, though outside of the business? Outside it's of business the people. Yeah, it's yeah. business people. Well, I mean, entrepreneurs. Uh, yeah. entrepreneurs that maybe are coming from a different angle as opposed to established yeah. businesses that supply yeah. a Prozac sort of thing. Why would researchers. Yeah. yeah. So I think that, that, that there's been, there's been an interesting debate as to the difference between compass pathways approach and the researchers approach. And basically compass pathways have come in and they have been quite hard nosed as far as I can see from the outside. And I don't, I don't have great, um, inside knowledge on this, but they've been quite hard nosed and quite businesslike about it. Mm. Um, and the sort of more liberal, maybe researchers are like, oh, you know, that's capitalism. Mm, not sure about that. Don't know quite how that's working with us, sort of thing, and getting a bit nervous about it. Yeah. And I think only time will tell how Compass Pathways sort of what Compass Pathways do, because they basically own psilocybin now in Europe, because they they have manufactured psilocybin um, to medical grade quality. They're the only people that can do it. And because they spent so much money, I think they spent like a million and a half or something um, mm -hmm. pounds on getting it to this medical grade quality. Um, and so the European Drug Agency, whatever that's called, said, um, okay, well, we'll give you a 10 year license for that sort of thing. And so what, how Compass Pathways wield that power will be really interesting to see in the, you yeah. know, in, in the coming can they, years. Can they really do that when I can, you know, if I want to, I can go out and buy a grow kit? Yeah, but yeah, well, you can do it yourself, of course, but you can't, yeah. you can't run a medical trial unless no. you've got um, something that is accurate down to the microgram. Um, mm. So... Um, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. So I, it's I, of that. Powerful, I suppose. It does need to be... Yeah, I, the other... It, if you are a big pharmaceutical 
I mean, it's only hypothetical, but are they in the business of curing people? I, I don't know if they are in the business of curing people, but I um, don't know either. I wouldn't know enough to be sure, but my instinct tells me that um, it's all about money, yeah. which is sad. Yeah, well, it is how it is, but yeah. Um, and if there's a cure for something along the way, then that's great. But as long as they're making their money, I don't think they mind too much. Yeah, I mean, it would be if there was a cure, that means the money would stop. But if it's, I can get you on a monthly prescription for the rest of your life, that's just your average order value per customer is a lot better. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, I mean, I would, I mean, I would say that these obviously these these pharmaceutical companies are spending a lot of money on getting these drugs to market um, and so there is a need for them to survive you know to make money off the ones that are approved and as I understand it it's becoming harder and harder um, to get drugs past well in fact they've stopped basically they've stopped making antidepressants because when they got I think it's stage three of the drug um, approval process is the sort of um, against the placebo and they just kept on falling over against the placebo um and so they wow. spent know, half a million quid or whatever it is on um this creating this new antidepressant and they just you know it just wasn't it just wasn't working kind of thing they couldn't prove that it was better than placebo um and so as, as i understand it all these pharmaceutical companies have just stopped making antidepressants and then all the antidepressants that they made all their money from in years gone by are now out of patent and so they're not making any money on those either. And so yeah. it's just you know, new companies reformulating what they've done. And so they're selling them for pence. You know. that's, um, sorry, that's extraordinary what you just said, that the placebo performed better. Yeah, well, or, 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 or the same, or, 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 or sorry, their, more drug, their drug didn't, didn't um, show, uh, didn't show such, such, such notable difference against the placebo that, um, that it kind of... Um, you know the the drug enforcement agencies or whoever it was said well you know but that's not widely known is that widely known that particular statement that you i find that extraordinary i don't know i mean to be honest i would fact check that as well but that's what i was told by you know it would have been someone like david nutt or whatever i wouldn't i wouldn't repeat it if it was sort of my mate john down the pub um, yeah, um okay. so i think that that's kind of why i mean i don't i mean i think that there haven't really been any new antidepressants brought out into the market for, for a long time now. And that's because they're really expensive to do the research on and not a lot of them were falling through. And so they were losing millions and millions of pounds in the research. And they just thought, well, let's go on to, um, you know, Viagra or, um, you know, a drug for Parkinson's or whatever, um, because that's gonna make us more money anyhow. Um, so I think that they basically stopped doing research into depression. And that's why actually no one really knows why depression happens and that sort of stuff. We don't even know that, so that's difficult to treat. Mm. Well, okay, it's, it's, um, I mean, it, I can see how Compass Pathways, what you've said there, how there is a business in it. I mean, there's a business in cannabis, a humongous business in cannabis worldwide, yeah. so they surely yeah. can make a business out of this. And why not let them make a business if they invest in it and it actually does yeah. a little bit of something for people? Well, exactly. And that's the question is, is, is what are compass pathways? What are their motivations? And um, are they, are they in it for the um, good of themselves or the good of um, treating, or, you know, getting this treatment 
as widely searched as possible. Um, I did something about, you know, and again, this is secondhand information, so it could be nothing, but it's something about um, them um, only allowing people to use their psilocybin if they followed their trial procedures, which, meant, which means that essentially there's only one trial happening over and over and over again. Mm. And that to me seems totally, um, you know, surely you should be experimenting with all sorts of different types of trials so that you get a sort of see what works in some situations and what works in others and maybe marry the two for the third trial and, and that's how you learn, it seems to me. But to be doing the same thing over and over and over and over again, that seems completely farcical. Um, yeah. I don't know whether that's true or not, but that's what I've been told. But, uh, yeah, you'd imagine something like this is not, I mean, psilocybin is not, it, whilst it's as containable as um, it can be, you know, the scene and the setting and the dose and all that, the reaction to the person is not holistically uh, predictable. You know, it's not, given that person's history and that person's life, it does blow you know whatever way it's taken they can try and control it in whatever way but still when it goes inside the body of the person maybe did you see that i mean i'm guessing but from the various um people taking it throughout the movie was there mm. dramatically different reactions to it or the mm. same there was, was yeah, there? yeah yeah okay. yeah 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 and actually it's it, it was interesting in in our in our film it was um uh, to they, they all went to a pretty dark place and so none of them had the um well actually uh one of them had a sort of momentary um blissful experience kind of thing um but they all went to they all went to a pretty dark place basically whereas in the trial more generally um uh, some some people in the trial went to a completely blissful place and sort of met god and that sort of stuff um, um uh, and so our film, unfortunately, just because of the, you know, the fact that we were filming, the interview people that said yes, um, slightly sort of distorts the fact. But it's good in a way. I think. Well, I think it's good because it it gives you a completely different perspective on what psilocybin is. Um, yeah. And so, you know, the film really doesn't pull any punches, and it it, it it is a hard watch. And if you want to sort of learn about depression, then you know, it's a good film to watch because you get a real sense of what it is like to live with this thing. And then you've got this wonderful sort of psychedelic angle to the film to take you through all of that sense of what living with depression is like, both from the patient's point of view and also their families. Okay. Um, but yeah, they, they, but even within the three that I filmed, um, they were quite, they were sort of quite different reactions. So one person was very vocal during the, um, during the trip. The another one, um, basically didn't say anything um, um, but wanted to leave because he was seeing weird things that he didn't want to see. And then finally the last one said that it didn't have any effect on him at all to the, to the people running the trial. But then to me in the film, he was like, yeah, I saw a major amount of weirdness, but nothing that told me what my illness was about kind of thing. And so I think that he was kind of... Mm searching for a cure that was that and maybe that wasn't the right uh I, it's so difficult with him i don't i i don't know what i don't know what his story is and i don't know i don't know i feel i feel very particularly sad for him 
every day he's he's like completely flat he doesn't feel any joy he doesn't feel any emotions whatsoever he's just completely flat um but he doesn't just sit in his room all day and do nothing um you know he gets up and he walks the dog and he um, does some gardening and he does all the things that you're told to do to try and get better he lives in the countryside so he goes for walks you know in woodlands and stuff like that connecting with nature but None of it's none of it's doing anything for him. Every single day, he's just completely flat at the bottom of the emotional spectrum. Wow. And I don't know how long. I mean, he's been had that, so he's forty something, and he's had it since he was sixteen. And so that's like twenty five years or something like that of basically, you know, not feeling anything. Yeah. I I I honestly don't know whether I would be alive after 25 years of that you know I think it would just be so heartbreaking and miserable that you would just think actually surely suicide is a better option than living like this every single day for the rest of my life um so I feel I feel very um I mean I feel sort of very I feel very just just, trying to make it not sound patronizing but I still I just feel incredible emotional sadness for the three people that I was filming. Um, um, Mm. And I don't, I just do not see a solution for them, but they were given this glimmer of hope that you talked about earlier on, you know, they, during this trial, they were, well, certainly two out of the three were really definitely, definitely given a real glimmer of hope for the first time in, you know, at least a decade for both of them. Um, Mm. And then that, you know, that raises its own questions of sort of, well, you know, is it fair to open up that sort of hope to people and then to have it know that it's going to be taken away or to have a strong sense that it's going to be taken away and there's nothing you can do about it. And, you know, the infrastructure in their hometowns is never going to be able to um, give them the best follow-up that they need. You know, one of them lives in Dumfries, um, you know, in the borders of Scotland um and um you know the with the best will in the world the sort of local mental health provider that won't know much about psilocybin and won't know there won't be a lot of people on offer who can do reintegration therapy with him and you know get him back on track and the nhs certainly won't pay for it anyhow so um you know that is that does present problems yeah, I mean, you see, my nature is almost, you know, to fix, you know, I think it's a lot of men who like that kind of, you know, you should be able to fix this. You should be able to do this, this, and this, and then you go, no, no, that's not working. And well, you should be able to do this, and that's not working. And then you go, right, well, he needs to just take the biggest dose ever. And then you go, well, you know, maybe it's a dose thing. I don't know. I mean, because that was my thing as well, that, you see, life, life is life, first of all. There's no antidote for life. There, you know, mm. life is life. But it's easy to say that, you know, but life is life and life can be horrendous and life can be spectacular. But it, there is no antidote for, you know, that. But the thing like a psychedelic can give you this openness or can open up possibilities. And then they mm. close again. Like even for people who've got, say, peak experiences, blissful experiences, almost that is kind of like you know seeing god and then it's taken away from you but maybe there's that left inside you that um you know you're left with that yeah uh, 
that touching you. But then in a way for them, they're almost showing something worse. Is, it, is this true worse than, because that's sorry, where I'm going with this is that say through therapy and CBT, people are kind of can float around the truth of themselves. Yeah. They, you know, they can, yeah. I can be here and I'm not going to change. And these are my problems way over here. But with, yeah. the, with the psilocybin, it's, it, there's no escaping. It's, you're, you are slam-banged, presented with the stark reality of everything. Or this, or this blissful, wonderful or this reality. Blissful, yeah, and that, uh, yeah. And that, that is it. I mean, basically, I think Ros in the trial said that you know, they went to places in one dose, you know, um, in six hours that you wouldn't get to with ten years of CBT, because if the person doesn't want to talk about this stuff or doesn't realise the um, relevance of those childhood experiences, for example, um, or the significance of those childhood experiences, they just won't go there. Mm. Um, and you know, if they if they if they've been burying these memories for their whole teen and adult life, then you know that's going to take an incredible amount of trust and digging from um, with an individual to to get that sort of out. And the NHS just simply can't afford to do that. So their sessions, as like Ros was saying, that you know, it was so frustrating working as a psychologist within the NHS because you get these people who come in who have got massive mental health issues and you've got 10 sessions with them once a week um, and Ros was like and so basically what we used to do is we didn't even bother trying to approach the real proper mental health problem what we tried to do within those 10 sessions is in the first five gain their trust and then the next five find something that we could solve in five sessions like you know um they might not like taking buses, which stops them from being able to go to work or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and so they so spend five sessions trying to get them to feel better about going on a bus. And that's obviously, I mean, that's a, a leaf on a tree of mental health, you know, mm -hmm. um, but that's a win as opposed to just them leaving after 10 sessions with nothing, basically. Whereas something like this, you know, you, they, they, like you say, it's, they, have, they unavoidably have to deal with what is presented to them. And if they look away and look somewhere else in their mind, um, the thing reveals itself in a slightly different way over here and then over here and then over there and whatever, until basically they get so tired that they go, okay, fine, open up this box of terrors and let's see what's in it. Yeah, box of terrors is an interesting way to describe it. And I, I, I almost think that, have you, you've heard of ayahuasca, have you? Hmm. So that in Peru and these places, say the true shamans who have been using this, it's been passed on for, uh, let's say that the true, say the true shamans as opposed to guys who are trying to pretend to be these shamans, but yeah. in the indigenous, in the right in the forests, I imagine yeah. they have mastered it, not mastered it, but they've realized, well, it's not just one session, it's, it's five sessions and it's over a period of time and it's a real uh, and learning from that I mean going out into the forest to talk to these people to really really study because ayahuasca and psilocybin they all have apparently similar sort of traits but all say centuries ago if you were living there and you had some sort of a problem you'd go to the shaman and he'd give you this medicine and he'd talk to you and nurse mm. you back 
and in a caring whatever way and there probably would be dramatic results for existential crises as opposed to it is i must yeah. be frustrating for the likes of robin that they get to do it once or twice that they don't have a huge given their enthusiasm they don't have a huge budget to just do mm. this in the best possible way because it, it just sounds like that the people that you dealt with didn't get you know didn't get loads and loads of treatments it's a certain amount limited to the trial no, so, yeah exactly so they're basically you know that they are restricted by what the trial has been given permission to do and so robin and david and whoever else was involved with that process would um design a trial they would take it to the ethics committee and whoever else has to get through the regulatory hoops of all this sort of thing and they say okay this is what we want to do and so the, the ethics committee and co say fine there's, there's your rubber stamp for that trial that you have talked to us about. Mm-hmm. And so if halfway through the trial they realise, oh shit, you know, we should, have, um, we should have got a lot more integration or, you know, actually a lot of these people need another dose. Well, that's just tough luck, basically. They, that's not the trial that they've got permission for. And so they have to wait for the next one and then, look, sort of, you know, put what they've learned into that, that, from that first trial into the second trial. And so in an ideal world, they would just say, okay, we want to do a trial with psilocybin and we want to just mess around and do whatever we think works. But yeah. no ethics committee in the world is going to allow them to do that. No, of um, course not, no. Um, but I thought what was really interesting, I, I, I heard an interview with a guy called, I think, Jamie Wheel, and he um, was saying that um, in those, um, in the, you know, um, South American ayahuasca ceremonies or whatever it is, um, all those committees, um, they they sort of treat these drugs with you know a lot more that kind of thing maybe a lot more a lot more say that again a, a lot, lot more. more respect yeah um, and so what he would say is that they would you know you you wouldn't just launch yourself into ayahuasca or psilocybin or whatever it is you would start with um, you know a drug that was less potent and once you had um, uh, learned the lessons from that drug and sort of educated in that drug, then you could move to the next one. Um, and then that's kind of what happens as, until you get to ayahuasca, which is, you know, um, the, the most potent or whatever it is. And maybe there's one that's even more potent sort of thing. But I really like that idea. I really yeah. like the idea of, of, of earning the right to, to take these drugs um, and, and going through a process to learn about yourself and the world that we live in and all that sort of stuff before just sort of taking it for fun or hedonistically which is what a lot of westerners did because it is that word though respect because i mean normally it lets you it is a lesson and either the lessons are learned or they're not like i i mean i spoke to somebody once who'd taken ayahuasca a hundred times and i went why a hundred times like why, why do you keep it is the lesson not, have you are you still trying to improve to get to this magical place mm. or you know or have you actually taken have, if you have had the experience of ayahuasca and um and you know got or even paid attention to what it's telling you you'd imagine and paid attention to what it, it is telling you sounds a bit out there no no I, 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 but there I, is an intelligence to it there is yeah i think i think that that's an interesting thought for me and that's a, that's an un, unanswered question um for me is that um you know if you have taken it a hundred times then 
why are you taking it and why aren't you fixed? And if you're not yeah. fixed in adverse commas, then maybe it doesn't work. Um, and so that is an interesting thought for me as to is, I mean, I saw incredible promise for psilocybin, mm. um, but that exactly that sort of story makes me wonder, um, well, there are clearly people out there who have taken a lot of these drugs. I mean, Amanda Fielding, um, I, she came to the premiere of our, our film and um, um, she was saying that, you know, she's taken loads of these drugs in her time um, and, um, and she still, you know, suffers a little bit from low moods and depression and sort of hasn't seen the light and that sort of stuff. And so, and so, yeah, and so, it, it, you know, that there's, that there's evidence that it doesn't work. <laughs> um, well, I, I, and you see, I, I would be kind of... As in, as in doesn't fix people. But well, then having said that, there are two people on the trial out of the 20 who had one dose of psilocybin and they are completely fixed. They are depression free to this day. Um, I, I would say that it, it, there's no, in my mind, uh, having experienced ayahuasca, and you kind of mentioned about a lead up, I've experienced ayahuasca. And um, uh, so I, I, my whole sense of anything is, if I was going to have to do it more than once, then it's another, it's another game, it's another seeking to get to an imaginary place. Um, and I kind of just stumbled upon it and I was really curious about it. Um, but I, uh, uh, the idea that you, this is, is the same idea as this seeking, this 21st, this world we live in is, I need to get to this place and then I'll be at peace. So the next time I take this thing, then I'll be fine. And I just think that's that's bullshit, though. You know that that's mm. the you there now. You you are putting you've an imaginary place in mind, and you mm. it, it needs to fit your vision of the world needs to fit that imaginary place because if it doesn't, mm. then you're not there yet. So I'm going to take yeah. this again and again. But I I have no I, I so sorry my roundabout point what is that I think the substances have a for the right type of person can have a dramatic effect, but you, you're entering into, you're taking something from nature that is, and you can try and manage it as best you possibly can and, you know, make it the dose perfect, but you're still taking something from nature that has a wildness to it. And, um, and uh, so I do think there's something in that, in the right circumstances, in the right therapeutic environment, in a respectful way, once every, whenever. But this thing of, oh, I have a creative problem in Silicon Valley and I'm just going to take a little dose of LSD just to fix the problem so I can perform well at work. I mean, that's fine. Mm -hmm. I just don't think that's what it's for. You know, and that, but that's yeah. the nature of us almost. We take everything and fucking just abuse it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's that, it's that intention and motivation which is um, clearly very important when, you, when you're going into using these sort of things. Which is why there's obviously a lot of preparation in advance. Yes, you know, on part of the trial, this, you know, they, they they speak to them at, at length about what they might experience and what sort of things they might think come up and that sort of stuff, so that they go in to this sort of thing in the best possible frame of mind. Mm. Okay, very good. Uh, tell me about the film. You see, obviously, the film is shown. It's in certain places in the UK. Yeah. The screenings. Yeah. So there's. Um, I can't remember how many screenings there have been now, but um, they've um, they've all sold out apart from one. 
um, right. which is which is amazing given that we haven't got any budget whatsoever for advertising so it's all basically through word of mouth i mean i'm on twitter but i started unbelievably naively and stupidly i started being on twitter a week before the premiere <laughs> <laughs> so i mean it it's my it's the first film i've made so um, i honestly thought that when the film was finished that was my job done i yeah. i literally had no idea that it was really actually just the beginning um and so now yeah it's been in the cinemas in the uk so maybe there are 20 screenings or something like that um uh some cinemas have rebooked because it did so well um um which is which is really wonderful for me to hear i love hearing yeah. that sort of thing i i love i love having people come up to me an hour after a screening um in the bar afterwards and just say um you know i just thought that was a great film we've just spent the last hour talking about the film um mm. That for me is the biggest compliment that anyone could give a filmmaker. So that that yeah. that's lovely and completely unexpected um, feedback. Um, and then we've now been given a bit of money by a private um, investor, um, and we um, I, I I think that the strategy um, behind that and it was only about a week ago that it, this all happened. So we're still sort of working on it. But I think the strategy behind that will be to try and get it seen in Parliament. And that won't just be sort of booking a room and you know, hoping someone turns up. Um, there'll be a sort of quite thought through, tailored um, sort of piece that will um, target certain MPs who are influential or interested in this kind of area and try and get them there to see it. Um, and it, they won't see the whole film because they haven't got time for that. So maybe they'll see a 20 minute film and there'll be a question and answer afterwards or something like that. Um, uh, with the hope of starting this conversation to make research easier. Um, yeah. wow. um, it'd be good to try and get some um, mental health organisations involved in that as well. Um, um, so I've been speaking to a lot of the mental health organisations during the whole filming process to try and get them on board. A lot of them came to a screening a you know, couple of months before the actual premiere um, to get their take on it and see whether that's something they want to do. And we're still in discussions with them. And it would be wonderful to be part of a campaign that one of them's running. So we're sort of, we're just rolling it out essentially. Um, the first thing was the cinema screenings and then there'll be private screenings, you know, within organizations or within parliament or wherever it is. And then um, maybe the, maybe someone wants to sort of run a campaign in which part of the film becomes part of a campaign. And, and then sort of we just extend the life of the film in that way and just try and get it seen by as many people as possible um, over the, you know, lifetime of the film. Um, and that's not for monetary gain. I think that's, uh, you know, that's been forgotten about now. I think that this feels to me like it's a film that um, people really kind of need to see, um, yeah. both so that they can learn about um, how awful depression is, um, but also the potential of these new drugs and just to, you know, raise public education on these things, that they're not dangerous hedonistic drugs that make you jump off buildings. Um, um, although they can be, um, they can also be um, in the right environment, you know, incredible tools to help people that otherwise don't have any hope. Yeah, okay. No, it's really cool. I mean, I, all of that happening, I mean, I imagine that can, if you weren't expecting that promotional side of it, it would be quite tough, but also it's, it's pretty cool with that possibility that your films, uh, to do something that could have an impact like that is quite nice. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I think I, I'm just, it, I, I, there aren't many things that I've been really proud of um, in my life sort of thing, you know, um, I'm quite tough on myself in that way. Yeah. Um, but this is, a, this is something that I really, every time I watch it, I think, oh, you know, that's a really bloody good film. Um, and everyone that has seen it has been really positive about it. Well, I mean, people who thought it was crap haven't come up to me and said, I thought it was crap. So maybe there are people who thought it was crap. But most people that I know have come up to me and just said, you know, I was very moved by that and it was a very, very good film. And that, that is, that's a wonderful thing in its own. Um, and so if that's all that happens, that's kind of good for me. Um, but it would be lovely for it to have some sort of, it feels to me like it could um, have a catalytic, if that's a word, effect on this world. And if that's the case, that would be wonderful and completely unexpected. Yeah, at the start of my little short piece, Robin, I, I've his quote, Robin said something like, if this takes off, it could change the world. And, yeah. uh, and I think that about what you're doing with this film, I think it... Uh, it's not really to change the world, to change change certain elements of it, and maybe things like uh, maybe if it. I think at a minimum, if it can bring awareness and people who are like me in the past go and it's one way and go, oh, I didn't know that. I think that's kind mm -hmm. of really, it's really interesting to know yeah. that these substances can have such an impact. I mean, yeah, it has to be, yeah. Yeah, it really—it's a challenging film in that way. It does—it does make you sit up and rethink a lot of preconceptions that you may have had, both about depression and psychedelics. Um, mm. And that is a good thing. I mean, obviously, our motivation when we went into the film was just, well, let's see what happens, kind of thing. Um, um, and only—I mean, to, to some extent, only off the back of the screenings that happened in the few weeks that I was in London um, for the premiere and around it only off the back of that have we thought, wow, you know, people really have responded positively to this. Um, yeah. And, um, and you know, maybe it would be morally wrong to not try and make the most of it um, uh, and, and capitalize on, on, a, on a, a wave or a bump that, um, that, it, that it has come our way. Yeah, I think the timing is very right for it. It feels right and also, just the swell, when you see mainstream, see the recent development in the US with the FDA and psilocybin, and just the, there is a bit of a grand swell in terms of the media um, publicity of it, that, you know, the timing is, could be very right for it, who knows? I mean, it is, it, it, it's very interesting the reaction you're getting. It's great mm. to hear, I'm delighted for you. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, that's very cool, man. Listen, thank you so much for giving me your time. It's a Friday night. Hi, if you like the conversation that I just had and you'd like more, please hit the subscribe button. Thank you. Frank. Frank, come on, man.